Hello listeners and welcome to CMI's Peace Talks. I'm your host Antti Emmälä, CMI's Communications Manager. In this show we look at the world through the lenses of peacemaking. We have conversations with both our own and other top experts on what it takes to build lasting peace in this unstable world situation. In the wise words of our founder, Nobel Peace Laureate Martti Ahtisaari, we believe that all conflicts can be resolved. This podcast is about how to do it. To leave no one behind. This is what World's Nations promised to do when they set the ambitious Sustainable Development Goals five years ago. These targets, to be achieved by 2030, stretch from eradicating poverty and reducing inequality to combating climate change and building peaceful societies. Despite initial optimism and some progress in achieving these goals, the picture looks now a lot gloomier than it did five years ago. The coronavirus pandemic is having devastating impacts across the globe. It is making the world even more fragile in a situation where violent conflicts are being increasingly recognized as one of the main hurdles to sustainable development. What is the role of effective peace mediation in building more sustainable societies? Could the coronavirus pandemic produce real change in terms of how the international community and individual countries should address different vulnerabilities? These are some of the questions we try to answer today, focusing on the cases of Yemen and Libya as examples of countries where continuous violence has pushed back development. My guests are Abdul Ghani Aliriani, a senior researcher at the Sana Center for Strategic Studies, and Marwan El Krekshi, who is the head of CMI's Middle East and North Africa team. Abdul Ghani is joining us from Amman, Jordan, and Marwan from uh, Helsinki here in Finland. Great to have you both here with me. So let's start with the big picture. First, a few key facts. Violent conflicts have increased to the highest level since the end of the Cold War, and these conflicts stand increasingly in the way of sustainable development in the world. For instance, it is projected that by 2030, more than half of the people living in poverty will be found in countries affected by high levels of violence. So, Maron, how do you see the relationship between peace and sustainable development from the perspective of the Middle East and North Africa? Yes, so I think uh, there is a there is an increased understanding, or I would say even a consensus among uh, most um, kind of practitioners um, on the interlinkages between uh, humanitarian development and 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 peace uh, type of. Uh, programming interventions. Uh, basically, these things are, are interlinked and um, in many of these contexts um, you cannot achieve um, sustainable um, development uh, objectives without um, having also um, interventions that are or activities that are um, pushing towards a, a sustainable uh, peace. If you look at the Arab Arab world, um, the Arab region constitutes maybe approximately uh, maybe 5% of the global uh, world population. Uh, but on the other hand, it's producing almost 50% of the global uh, refugee uh, flows. So to give, this gives you an indication that uh, the Arab 
Arab region is um, most of the most of the states in the Arab region are, are suffering from from severe uh, crisis, and it is a a multifaceted uh, crisis. It is political, uh, economic, and and social. And if you look at the the current conflicts. Um, whether it's Libya, whether it's Yemen, whether it's other regions like like Iraq and, and, and other contexts, um, you would notice that um, these are countries that are still uh, not able to to reach a a consensus on the on the new kind of social contract and and vision uh, of these countries that would then enable for uh, national authorities to to lay plans and and work uh, towards um, providing basic social services and and uh, providing establishing uh, responsive governance uh, structures that would uh, develop mechanisms for peaceful uh, management of um, societal or political uh, tensions the the fact that most of these conflicts are armed armed conflicts in these regions also kind of points to the to the well inherent uh, reasons that are still pushing for for increased polarization in this uh, these contexts if we look at the libya libya context um, libya used to be um, well it's been ruled for over 40 years um, you had the short period after the independence uh, that it was a monarchy uh, and then for over 40 years uh, ruled by an autocratic regime which had actually a quite a strong um, develop developmental um, agenda so if you look at the human development index of, of libya um, during let's say the the 10 years before the fall of, of the last regime, it was scoring uh, quite high uh, on the on the African continent. Um, but that developmental kind of um, uh, agenda of that regime was not enough because uh, it did not account for uh, kind of the political freedoms um, and, and responsive governance uh, systems. And uh, this ultimately led to the current uh, crisis we are we are witnessing at the moment. So these are maybe kind of general um, thoughts on on this. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the sort of um, the previous gain that Libya was able to achieve in terms of development. Um, can you give us a few examples of these sort of? Uh, um, developments? Is it the um, health sector, education? What would what would you highlight from these sort of achievements in in, in that regard? Yeah. So if you look at, I mean, of course, uh, Libya benefited. It's a rentier state, so it benefited mm. from the oil uh, oil revenues. But uh, these, at least uh, to a certain degree, were 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 invested in in education infrastructure. Um, health so if you look at the indicators related to child mortality rates mm. or or, or uh, literacy rates um, then libya uh, scores uh, relatively high 
Now, these are kind of absolute numbers, but then we can have another debate on on the quality of, of those um, public uh, services and mm. um, to what degree um, the kind of these um, development interventions were uh, designed in a in a sustainable uh, manner. There are other aspects related to economy to the economy that um, mm. we're following more of uh, ideological uh, directions from the from the regime. So if you look at agriculture or uh, other aspects of the economy, um, uh, the choices were not always made with uh, sustainable solutions uh, in mind. But um, yeah, generally speaking, um, the, the situation was from a socioeconomic point of view relatively relatively good if you compare at the continental level. And of course, um, now in this uh, in this current uh, conflict, which has lasted now for eight years or so, um, you can see that I think on most of these uh, indicators, you you see a regression mm. um, given the the insecurity and the continued uh, depletion of of state resources and 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 destruction uh, of state resources. Um, and this is basically self self inflicted by the by the Libyan uh, warring parties, even though you have international dimensions there or regional players backing them. But I would I would put the main responsibility with the Libyan kind of fighting factions. Mm. So the war, the civil war has really pushed back development in, in, in Libya in, in many ways. Some of the progress that has been achieved. Yes, to the extent things. to the extent that uh, you have uh, the general mood now is, is uh, longing for for the period for the autocratic uh, period of the country, because then at least you had uh, kind of basic uh, basic needs, uh, whether it's electricity, whether it's uh, education, uh, uh, at least guaranteed. Despite the quality, I'm not saying the quality was great, but at least there was some some basic services provided. So, Abdul Ghani, after nearly six years of conflict, what has been the impact of war on sustainable development in Yemen? Uh, the infrastructure and the economic assets uh, of uh, Yemen has been uh, devastated by uh, an air campaign conducted by the Saudi-led coalition, uh, which conducted over 200,000 airstrikes, most of them targeting economic uh, assets and infrastructure. So uh, food manufacturing plants, uh, water uh, resources, uh, 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 bridges, uh, roads, uh, sheds, poultry farms, uh, everything that that could be s seen from the sky was hit. And of course, that created an, uh, it, it is responsible for most of the uh, food insecurity problems in Yemen. Mm. So, Abdul Ghani, you mentioned some of these devastating impacts that the war is having in, in, on, on development in, in, in Yemen. Um, what is your um, assessment? What would have been Yemen's trajectory without this war 
in terms of development? Uh, Yemen had uh, emerged out of the Arab Spring with the National Dialogue Conference that stipulated uh, a new Yemen, a new uh, social contract and a new system that is based on uh, more participatory, uh, federal decentralized uh, uh, system. And I think uh, we could have advanced in that direction and we would have been able to uh, to achieve sustainable development, which was not the case actually for the past uh, two decades or so. Uh, sustainable development requires uh, a level of stability and uh, a durable social contract. And each country uh, has its own formula. Uh, we can't copy and paste uh, and mm. what works for this country or that. Yemen had not really see, found her uh, its formula. We were still exploring that when the war started. Uh, but we were very optimistic that uh, we were going through a, a phase of a peaceful transition into a, a more participatory system and therefore uh, would have uh, triggered uh, economic development and, and uh, social development. Mm -hmm. Would you mention some of these important parameters in terms of economic or social development? What could have been achieved and what would have been the trajectory in, in these terms? Uh, to give you an idea of how centralized the economy was, uh, the budget of the center, central na national level uh, budget, accounted for 96% of the total uh, expenditure and 4% was uh, dispersed by local governments where 60 to 65% of the population actually lived. Uh, so uh, the, the majority of the population were basically outside of the, of the economic activity triggered by the state. And uh, decentralizing uh, the, the economy would have created a push uh, of productivity in uh, the majority of the country where majority of the population lives. Yes. I, I think it's telling that I, I was looking at the a report from the UNDP saying that the war has pushed back development in Yemen uh, with 21 years in total. I, 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 I think it's, uh, it's really telling of, of, of the devastating impact that the war is really having, having in, in Yemen. Would you agree with this estimate? We're talking about of more than 20 years of, of development. I, I think it's quite uh, conservative. Uh, I, I worked for UNDP at that time and uh, I think that uh, it could have uh, presented a more extreme scenario, but they are being very conservative as they usually are. Uh, education has basically been uh, suspended for the past six years. Schools are open, but children are not getting education. The health system has collapsed. Mm. Uh, more than 50% of the health facilities are now non-operative. Uh, 
And when they are operative, they don't have uh, the basic equipment to actually carry out their, their uh, work. Uh, the the economy overall uh, has been destroyed. Food processing plants across the country have been bombed, mostly by uh, the Saudis, but also by the local militias. Uh, the port is uh, operating at uh, about 30% of its capacity. The airport is closed. The roads have been bombed. The uh, Farming is, has been affected by the fact that uh, water uh, pumps have been bombed. I mean, it's a total disaster. And on top of this comes the COVID-19 crisis in both in Yemen and in Libya. How would you um, estimate the effects of COVID-19? Who would like to start, Marwan? Well, COVID-19, it's it's like one more kind of addition to the to the you know to the long list of of uh, of problems these these societies are or countries are are facing. And of course, the 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 the, the main problem, of course, you don't have uh, national authorities that you could uh, you could trust or that can have or that have a kind of a general. Uh, up-to-date um, and reliable um, data on the on the situation health situation in the country and then you have a health system that is unable to to cope with um, such a such a pandemic whether it's from the infrastructure uh, point of view but also just from the quality of of um, of the health uh, staff that are that are um, that are working. Uh, there was one one example of um, um, a Libyan young man who who was on social media basically ex- explaining his experience with COVID. His sister uh, was infected, and he had to move her between at least uh, three different hospitals. Uh, until he found one that accepted to take her and then when they took her they put her uh, somewhere in a, a so-called isolation in a, in a cellar mm. but then none of the medical staff uh, due to lack of protective um, uh, gear mm. uh, was able or willing to to approach her so the the brother uh, had to himself you know be close to her wash her feed her and so on and obviously, he was also then, mm. then infected, and um, at the end of the day, she also kind of uh, succumbed to her um, to the to the disease because of lack of mm. uh, respiratory devices and so on. And this is in a country of uh, five million inhabitants, uh, producing almost uh, almost two million barrels of oil uh, a day. So this gives you a bit of a uh, an indication of, of how how bad uh, things are. Mm. So Abdul Ghani, how how do you look at the corona crisis from from Yemen's perspective? In Yemen, it's it's it goes beyond anything that has happened anywhere else in the world. The health system had collapsed because of the war, so there was no way of dealing with uh, with COVID nineteen. Uh, the government continues to uh, publish ridiculous f- 
figures that uh, the infected cases are 1,500 and 500 of which have died, etc. Uh, my contacts in Sana'a tell me that about two months ago, actually, they, they estimated the deaths in Sana'a city at 5,000. And Sana'a city uh, uh, is uh, about 10% uh, of the population. And, but that's not the worst, the worst part of it. Uh, right. The high level, high number of, of deaths and uh, uh, is not the, what worries me most. What worries me most is that Yemenis now on the verge of uh, famine are sustained by remittances of uh, immigrant labor in Saudi Arabia, the Gulf, and uh, elsewhere around the world. And due to the lockdown, many of these immigrant uh, laborers had uh, lost their income. So uh, remittances from abroad have dropped by 80%, mm. which means that families are now starving. And of course, the those who die of uh, uh, malnutrition disease is going to be much higher than those who have died so far of COVID-19. So if we then move to, to solutions from the, the perspective of peace mediation, um, on, on a general level, um, how could and can uh, peace mediation uh, lay the basis for sustainable development in countries that suffer from conflicts. What are your takes on this? Uh, the I think the the mediators usually start with the wrong premise. They are mandated to stop a war, mm. but you know people don't. The majority of uh, victims of instability are not killed by bullets. They're killed by uh, lack of health care and uh, food uh, insecurity, by, uh, by parasites, by uh, just starving to death. Uh, so it is not enough to stop the shooting. You have to actually build peace. And building peace requires broad participation by the people of the country in question, uh, the United Nations and their mediators are not going to be able to, to determine what works, what will work for Yemen. Yemenis mm. have to decide by themselves. Unfortunately, the mediation effort in Yemen uh, is narrowly looking at stopping the war, which will not stop the suffering. It will continue until we find a, a formula that ensures equitable, equitable power sharing, decentralization, participation of the population and, and their and running their own affairs. And uh, I think that it will take us some time. The UN is not providing that. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, oh, sorry. Yes. 
Go ahead. No, just on this. Yeah. So I mean, the I think the 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 formula question is is one of the key the key questions. So you know, and by this, it's it's kind of a broad uh, concept of you know the new social contract and and so on. So for mediation to to achieve or contribute to achieving uh, development. Uh, I think in most of the the contexts in the in the Arab world, what is needed is an approach that is not focusing only on uh, issues of uh, power sharing um, arrangements, mm. because most of the contexts are actually uh, well, they're living uh, historical uh, changes, and um, the most of the conflicts have ravaged the kind of the previous uh, social uh, contract that was in place. So what is needed is basically um, a process that is, uh, of course, as inclusive as possible, but that is also focusing on this issue of, of uh, vision building. What kind of a, what kind of a, for example, in Libya, what kind of a post Gaddafi Libya do the Libyans want? It's not enough to think about, uh, okay, this, we do an arrangement whereby, okay, this region gets the prime minister and this region gets the, the, the presidency and this, this part of the country gets, I don't know, the armed forces, you know, this type of uh, quota or uh, this type of deals. You need like a proper vision on, on the kind of the key premises of, of um, kind of governing uh, the country and also allow the space for for the various actors in the in the country to to develop uh, also the economic uh, kind of uh, vision uh, for 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 the country so i would say the the, the mediation or peace peace efforts generally speaking um, should have this kind of broader uh, agenda in in their mind and um, too often they are very very narrow and and that's why um, even if you reach a cessation of hostilities for a while uh, if you don't have a process that tackles kind of the, the fundamental um, problems or the or the root causes of the conflict mm. um, these efforts will not um, be very very sustainable mm. and then i would uh, still kind of uh, uh, put quite a lot of emphasis on, on ownership of these different processes. Um, no one will bring, I mean, despite the fact that many of these con conflicts are internationalized and have strong regional um, dimensions, uh, none of these international or regional actors can play or intervene in these, uh, in these settings without um, local actors that are willing to, to cooperate with them or that see um, kind of interest in doing so. So in that sense, I I, um, I really believe that the, the the key is really in the willingness of of the of the national actors in these various settings uh, to put uh, tactical or narrow uh, political interests uh, to the side and and really work towards um, developing or achieving. Um, a national vision that is really for the benefit of of uh, of their country. Mm. 
So CMI has worked in, 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 in Libya for, for several years. Some of the problems that you mentioned, um, how are we trying to tackle these, these problems? Where we are in Libya, basically we are, the premise is, uh, is that we, we need to support uh, Libyan actors in developing this, this, um, this national uh, vision. Uh, Libya is a very, uh, it's a complex setting due to the fact that there is a fragmentation of, of uh, political and military uh, power. Uh, so in that sense, it, it will be a long process before you you get uh, you get you get into a situation where you have kind of um, a consolidation of power among maybe an, a more limited number of uh, of actors that can then um, reach some sort of a um, of a deal for for, mm. for the country. So our focus now is more on the on the political parties, which is uh, we believe uh, an essential element for um, for a democratic uh, system uh, in the country. If Libya is to be democratic, it requires it will require um, kind of active and, and capable uh, political parties that can develop um, political programs uh, that are not. Um, kind of limited to uh, primary uh, identities of, of region or, or tribe. These are these are the, the vehicles basically to to develop uh, to develop that. Um, Libya has a the history. Well, Libya does not have hasn't have uh, had a, a history of of, um, of political parties. This is quite new. Um, they came into existence mostly after um, the 2011 uh, revolution. So it is pretty much a, a work, a work in progress. So basically, that's that's kind of our our focus. Mm. So uh, what about Yemen? Um, so CMI is, is partnering with Sana Center in in the Yemen projects. Um, what else? What is our approach in, 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 in Yemen in, in that sense? How are we trying to improve things in terms of peace mediation? I mean, Yemen as well, it's one of these very, very complex, uh, very complex uh, settings. Uh, and the, the nature of the conflict, this latest round of, of the conflict has, has uh, kind of during the past years has changed the dynamics. I mean, there are a number of, there are many, many actors that are not um, maybe officially recognized as, as as conflict parties or that are part of the conflict, but have their own um, reasons uh, for being uh, part of, part in the conflict. And those actors uh, need to be um, better understood and um, the the official process, of course, has a specific uh, mandate, and that uh, something that uh, should should be uh, supported. But it's not enough. You need other uh, other kind of interventions. And, and in the current project, the focus is on uh, the role of political parties, but also uh, social actors and notably uh, tribal actors. Mm. And, and looking for ways to 
to to support their role in in uh, in reaching a peaceful uh, agreement. But over to you, Abdulani. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, what we're trying to correct some of the mistakes that are uh, committed by the UN mediation. The UN mediation uh, reserved the voice in the past six years to the warring parties. Mm. Uh, and that led to uh, weakening civil society, political parties, the leadership of the traditional leadership of communities, and made in effect it it uh, it increased the powers uh, the power of militias. Uh, we're trying to bring some uh, strength to the these marginalized uh, actors, civil society, political parties, uh, community leaders, to reduce the strength and power of militias, and therefore hope that we could return to a peaceful political process rather than uh, rather than war. So this higher participation of uh, of political parties and movements and, and women and tribal groups would allow for more inclusive peace process and a more sustainable agreement at the end as well. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, in fact, uh, they are these are the parties that that uh, seek peace, the militias. Mm. Uh, now benefit from the state of war that made them powerful, made them rich, and they would like to continue fighting for as long as possible, unless you in, in include these factions of the society, these actors in, in society that actually seek peace, we'll never have one. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> so there seems to be an increased awareness within the international community and, and with individual countries that one should focus a lot more resources on preventing conflicts than just managing and responding to them. We talk a lot about resilience, especially with regards to the COVID-19 crisis and climate change, but the, the question is how to build these sort of resilient societies that can prevent new conflicts from occurring. Um, what are your opinions on on this? What is what is needed, Marian? Marwan, would you like to start? Well, yes. I mean, they talk about it, but <laughs> <laughs> not sure if they do anything about it. I mean, if you look at, um, for example, Tunisia. Tunisia is is uh, I think, uh, if you, I mean, that was the start of of the of the Arab Arab so-called Arab Spring. Uh, I think they did quite well in terms of the the democratic transition, but the economy is 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 in a very deep uh, kind of uh, crisis, has been for for some time, and the way I, I I look at it, I don't see like concerted efforts to to really um, ensure um, that enough. Uh, economic support is is provided uh, to to Tunisia. Of course, there are a number of projects and and, and donors are giving money here and there, but I don't see like a, kind of a concerted effort to really make this um, this experience uh, successful. I mean, it's so far it's one of the few ones that has succeeded. Libya has fallen into a civil war. Syria, uh, uh, Yemen. Um, so. 
if, if the intentions were right, I would say much more concerted efforts in supporting um, Tunisia. But I mean, this whole resilience, I mean, of course, it's, uh, you know, uh, what comes first? I mean, resilience or, or first you, you achieve you achieve peace and then you build a system that tries to be as, really, as resilient as, as possible. I don't, mm. I don't know. This issue of prevention is has been, I think, a key challenge um, for quite a long time because um, for the international community to now, if we're talking about it from the point of view of the international community, for it to be for it to to intervene, it would require first that the that the concerned uh, state would recognize that there is a an impeding. Um, Danger or, or increased risks for for destabilization, and that they would be willing to to uh, accept this international intervention. And to my understanding, this has been one of the key uh, challenges, at least at the UN level. Um, no, no state really is willing to recognize that it needs uh, help before things uh, really get out of hand. Uh, in most of the cases. Mm. So yeah, conflict prevention, I think, is would be much more cost effi- cost efficient. Uh, mm. Would avoid quite a lot of the human suffering of of active conflict and so on. But um, how to ensure um, the appropriate timing, but also um, that the recipients of international uh, support would would, would recognize. Um, the need for for changing course, whether politically or or economically, is uh, I think a key question. Mm-hmm. Abdul Ghani, what do you what do you think about resilient societies? What are the building blocks for these societies? Well, as I said earlier, uh, each country has its own formula, and uh, there's no way of uh, having a, a one fits all. A formula, and each country should be allowed to uh, consider what uh, what works best for it. But I think that uh, if we want to tackle this, we have to look at the big picture. Uh, this is the issue of sovereignty, which is uh, violated readily when the interests of major uh, powers uh, comes into uh, question. But it allows countries to rot under autocracy and corruption to a point of no return under the premise that the international community cannot uh, intervene and violate the sovereignty of a nation state. Mm-hmm. We, I think that humanity needs to re- re-examine this premise. And uh, in fact, uh, this has been, uh, you know, this has been violated uh, with, the U- with the U.S. Uh, putting human rights since Carter administration uh, on the table as a, a, a pretext to violate uh, sovereign states. Sovereignty. But that was abused to serve so- uh, uh, U.S. interests, uh, Saudis, uh, Emiratis. Uh, allies of of the U.S. were allowed to do whatever they wanted. I think that 
the UN should have a mechanism overseen by neutral countries, countries that can be trusted, such as Finland, uh, to uh, make judgments on issues of sovereignty when it comes to uh, countries that are deteriorating at a cost that would be humongous, both for the population of these states and for the international community. Uh, as we've talked here, um, conflict-prone and conflict countries um, suffer from uh, several problems and challenges, but one seems to be the lack of effective governance, so providing security or providing basic services, so sort of as a root cause of conflict. Would you agree with this? There seems to be an increased consensus that in order to solve some of these problems is to improve governance in order to create resilient societies that could prevent new conflicts from from emerging. Would you agree with this analysis of improved governance, the need for improved governance? Everywhere you look, uh, poor governance has has been the main cause of fa state failure all over the world. Mm. And, uh, there are some people may tout examples of uh, autocratic rulers who have been successful at the uh, bringing their countries to sustainable development and progress, actually, such as uh, Lee Kuan Yew. Or, but these are ex exceptions. There are hundreds of other instances where lack of good governance has resulted into uh, crisis and, and uh, instability. Uh, key, the key to development, the key to stability, the key to good, uh, to the well-being of, of humans, is good governance. Marwan, I mean, that's, uh, yes, indeed. I mean, one of the, the key things that the the first kind of Arab Human Development Report published by, by UNDP, I think, back, back in 2012, I mean, one of the key things they highlighted this as, as a key problem uh, in the Arab region, basically this governance um, deficit or, or good governance um, deficit and you know time has proved them kind of right in the sense that the the the, the region is is witnessing all this um, abrupt uh, change of of governance governance systems often through violent means and and then the lack of kind of uh, mechanisms to formulate an alternative system in a in a peaceful uh, manner so Yes, responsive governance is is key. I mean, uh, citizens need to feel um, respected. They, I mean, this is one of the key kind of triggers um, for for unrest in the in the Arab region. The feeling, the feeling that as a citizen you are not uh, considered as uh, how do I say equal or or there is a denigration of your of your humanity by those who are uh, ruling you um, you can be so these are kind of the extreme cases where you know you are just for saying the wrong thing you can you can disappear and and your family can disappear and and so on so this obviously creates a an atmosphere where um, creativity 
um, constructive criticism in terms of developing uh, policy, um, broad consultations in terms of uh, what would be the best way forward, um, scientific uh, kind of research, uh, the, all, all this kind of environment um, would be non-existent in a in a in a repressive uh, and non-responsive um, governance system where you have one uh, one ruler or one party that that is kind of considered as having uh, almost uh, absolute uh, truth so yes i think it's uh, it's key it is one of the one of the fundamentals if you if you if you get the governance system right it has a lot of trickle trickle down effects or or other effects that are that then enable for for uh, for these for for societies to develop um, the most kind of appropriate um, economic uh, and, and and political uh, systems. Mm. So so where is CMI's role in in all this in in enabling? better or more effective governance? Well, CMI, CMI's role is mainly in providing the platform in context where such pl platforms, dialogue platforms uh, do not exist um, to, to provide that. I mean, we are not in the business of, of uh, kind of being an agency that is, uh, you know, advocating for 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 this or this change. But what we do is we provide a platform for the national actors to to develop uh, recommendations for an improved governance um, system in their own uh, countries. And of course, I mean, this process needs to be very much uh, nationally owned and the parameters of the of the dialogue and the process also should be uh, nationally uh, owned i mean each each society and each country has its own historical uh, specificities as, as abdulhani was was stating and and then what does a responsive governance system mean uh, I think varies from one one place to another. I think we would be mistaken if we always think about it just in terms of, for example, whether that country has elections or no. Um, yes, I mean that's 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 one indicator, but um, maybe in some other context, they, there are other other um, other ways of of um, of influencing. Uh, policy policy making processes and i think the key is uh, how that process evolves and how how um, inclusive uh, it is so that formula is is really context uh, specific and evolves um, with with time mm. so with good governance if we take about effective or better governance it also involves a more equal system um, what do you think of the role of women in, in in building a more sustainable 
society. Abdul Ghani, would you? Uh, yes. <clears throat> something on this. Uh, both Yemen and, and uh, Libya, I think, uh, suffer from the same uh, disease, which is uh, concentration of power and voice in the hands of the few, and worse than that, uh, only few men. Women are not included. So we are at double jeopardy, where the majority of the population uh, are, have no voice, and the entire uh, uh, the entire gender uh, of women has no voice, and uh, it is it, this is not normal. People think that in the Middle East it is normal. It's been historically the case that women were marginalized, but the fact of the matter is, in traditional societies in, the, in Yemen, at least. Uh, Women had a, a strong voice. In fact, women had more voice in matters of uh, of the economy than men. Uh, and uh, but with with the rent income uh, taken over, whether from oil or from uh, international aid, uh, that that economic formula that existed for for uh, centuries was destroyed and women were marginalized to a point where they, they, they lost voice completely. And uh, I think that is detrimental to, to the chances of a country to reach a sustainable uh, development, but also even uh, stability and security. Yes, would you like to add something, Maron? Yes, I mean, uh, obviously when we say that you know governance systems need to be inclusive or or peace processes need to be inclusive then we we mean that it should also well it should include all all kind of key players in society and 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 women um, should be part of of those processes um, but maybe one thing in this discussion or debate around the role of uh, of women in the Arab world or the Middle East, broadly speaking, um, I think it cannot be tackled without also um, discussing uh, masculinity. What does it mean to be? Because these things are are, are in, interrelated. I mean, this whole uh, you know question of honor. Uh, what does it mean to be? a man and, and providing for the family, protecting the family, uh, women stepping up and, and being part of the public space. Why is that considered such a, a threat? Um, so I, I think these are these are questions that need to be um, discussed and, and, and debated because uh, for some reason, the, the the question of honor uh, is so 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 intricately intricately linked to um, to what degree a woman is is perceived somehow to be uh, you know liberated of, of or overstepping certain certain boundaries. Why why is that such a threat? And it is, I think, in many ways, it relates to to this whole issue of how men perceive. Uh, uh, 
well, this whole issue of masculinity and, and, and mm. honor, that I think is something that would require, uh, you know, uh, a discussion and a, and a re you know, to re-examine and, and re-kind of think this whole concept uh, uh, of honor in many of these uh, societies. Mm. So just to finish with, if we still look at the big picture and some of these development challenges and whether the world is going to be able to achieve these sustainable development goals by 2030, I think the COVID-19 crisis looms large here. Do, do you think that this crisis could produce a real change in terms of how seriously different stakeholders, whether that's the international community or individual countries, um, should take the need for sustainable development? What do you think? Well, I, I don't think so. I don't think it... Well, there was these hopes that maybe this will would kind of be a wake-up call, but I don't see any, at least not in Libya, not in other parts of, of the Arab world either, as some something that would kind of change uh, dynamics or, or kind of refocus the attention of, of, of decision makers into, into looking at this uh, sustainable development. Uh, aspects, not even to achieve ceasefires. Uh, in Libya, yeah. we've seen an intensification of fighting actually during the whole COVID, uh, especially during the first wave. And, and um, yeah, so I'm not that optimistic that this COVID-19 is a positive uh, trigger for change. Mm. Abdul Ghani, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I agree with Maru. Yemen, it, it was the same. Uh, uh, the level of uh, intensity of violence increased in the past few months. And uh, not only that, uh, the various militias used the pretext of COVID to uh, crack down on people and strengthen their control over people and even recruit children uh, as a, uh, on the argument that uh, they're going to die anyway if they stayed home. So why? Why did you just move them to the fronts? And uh, internationally, I, I think that uh, each country gets busy with their own weaknesses. So they're paying less attention to uh, areas of conflict such, such as Yemen. And uh, therefore, uh, it has actually produced negative, uh, negative effect. Mm. So urgent action is needed, but how to, how to produce real change is the, the big question. So, um, there's a lot to be discussed also in the future, but thank you for this discussion. You're welcome. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to CMI's Peace Talks with Antti Amela. If you like our show, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. You can also send us feedback and propose topics to discuss via social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or by sending email to comms at cmi.fi. <laughs>